Thank you for listening to one out of four experts. I'm Brookie the Dragon. Remember, these humans are not real experts. Enjoy the show. Whoa, 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 welcome to one out of four experts. Rewind it. Whoa, 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 welcome to one out of four experts. (laughs) Where each week my co-host and I endeavor to bring you topics of interest. Topics and subjects that just about a week ago we knew basically nothing about. Each segment, one of the four of us will be your expert and the other three of us will also eventually be your expert because we... All take turns, and that's how the show works. Mm, and we're probably going to play with this puppy, too. Yep, there's, there's a puppy here. There's a puppy here. There's a very sleepy puppy. Oh, he's dead asleep, Aww, which is great. he's such a sleepy boy. Oh, so cute. Yeah. It, Joel just got a puppy. I did. Yeah. What's his name, Joel? His name is Odysseus. What do you call him, though? Odie. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. What a good boy. He, he couldn't care less. Yeah, don't say his name too much. He'll wake up. So, um, <clears throat> I'm Chris. I'm Josh. And I'm Joel, the one with the puppy. And I'm Caitlin, and I am bereft of puppy currently. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you probably could have guessed based on the Mother's Day episode we did a few weeks back. This is the Father's Day episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And since I'm a new dad, it makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, you're a new puppy dad. That is very true. (laughs) So like the Mother's Day episode, we uh, tasked our respective fathers with giving us topics this week, and they uh, they all pulled through. Well, that almost makes it sound like for the Mother's Day episode, we asked our dads to give us topics, too. No. Right. Well, yeah, I no. think they said just <laughs> like the Mother's Day. But okay. I know what you mean. Yeah, so instead of asking our moms, we asked our dads. Right. Because of the Father's Day thing. Yeah, yeah, but you switch out moms and dads, and it's the same thing. Yeah, they're all the same. Yeah. So, we're gonna do it. <laughs> Somebody's gonna do it. Uh, and I think it's gonna be Caitlin, because she got the points again. Nine times out of ten, it's gonna be Caitlin okay. going first. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, my dad uh, told me about this this show that I had never heard of. It's a really, really, really old show. He must have seen it in syndication because it was made before he was born. But um, wow, must be super old then. <laughs> I've, I've never met your dad. I don't know how old he is. You don't know how he takes old jokes. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> no, if he, he if he doesn't. No, take he it well. has a great sense of humor. Okay. Um, you're old. I can vouch for that. Steve's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he has a great sense of humor. Um, he was just awarded at his school um, the superlative o- oldest dad. No. <laughs> Oldest dad that can take a joke. No, most likely to quit teaching to become a comedian. Oh, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So anyway, he mentioned this show and I think he even doesn't remember a whole lot about it. So hopefully this will give you, let you know about it if uh, for you guys and also for my dad. (laughs) (laughs) You gave me a hint earlier because my shirt's got ray guns on it. Oh yeah, your shirt has ray guns on it. Is it sci-fi show? It is. So this is called... Do I get a point for that? Well, I mean... (laughs) No, that's so broad. Also... I'm trying real hard to beat Caitlin this time. Who's keeping calendar of points? Oh, shoot. That's the dog, everyone. The (laughs) The dog will be... The puppy will be... Good boy. Taking the points. So... This is called Space Patrol. Ooh. Oh, isn't uh, Paw Patrol the sequel to Space Patrol? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Direct sequel. No, it's a prequel. 
actually. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes a lot more sense. So anyway, Space Patrol is a science fiction adventure series set in the 30th century. Yeah. Um, it was made for children, but developed a devoted adult audience. Not weird. And it aired March 9th, 1950. So I have a question. How yeah. did they know what the 30th century was like if it aired in 1950? Right. That doesn't they make just, any sense. They just guessed. It was... It was well, Chris, you of all people should understand from Carousel of Progress. Right? How that, far does that go? Does that hit thirtieth? Yeah. Thirtieth? No. Uh, we well, don't know. What does? What's the? Le- what's the Chrome level? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> the Chrome level. Yeah. The fact that this ride has levels makes it much more intriguing. Now we're not talking about that. These Definitely not. That people far in the seventies and eighties, right? We're like projecting what what the future might look like, right? Yeah, but it was like 2009 was what they were thinking, I think. Mm. Not not the not 100 years after that. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, yeah, and so it started as a 15-minute show Monday to Friday, so a daily show on a local Los Angeles station, KECA. And on December 30th, 1950, ABC added a half-hour version to its Saturday schedule where it became an instant hit. So there's this 15-minute daily Monday through Friday version and then another episode that aired weekly that was a half hour. And from then on, the new weekly show and daily 15-minute version both aired on a local basis. And then it was viewed in syndication about a week or two later in other cities via Kinescope. Okay, so mini, quick mini topic. A kinescope is a recording of a television program on motion picture film. And it was the only way to preserve live television broadcasts prior to the videotape in 1956. Hmm. So this was the only way to to preserve television. What's what's that guy called again? It's a kinescope. Kinescope, huh? Mm-hmm. So, I'm trying to have, find the roots of that word yeah, and I got nothing. I actually have in my notes, in case Joel brings this up, <laughs> um, the term kinescope originally referred to the cathode ray tube used in television oh. receivers as named by inventor Vladimir K. Zworkin. See, I love that shit. In 1929. Good Caitlin's killing it. Caitlin's <laughs> that was dad. A good poem. That was Steve did that. Oh, he's the one who recommended you do that? Well, Space Patrol. No, I'm talking about the the idea that you would know that I would ask some dumb question about the technical <laughs> aspects of a kinescope. No, I, yeah, I guess I thought I thought of that. How come it's not a cathoscope? I am, you know, I'm not sure. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about that one. Um, but it also refers to the way that they recorded the TV shows. So this show, I don't even know if my dad realizes this or remembers this, but this show is actually like revolutionary for several different reasons. The first being it it really pioneered the like taping of a live television show to show in other places. It's the first and- time people went to space too, right? <laughs> yeah, they filmed, they actually filmed this in space too. Yeah. What was it like so- 19 years before the moon landing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was, this was a really revolutionary show. The 15 minute and 30 minute version aired simultaneously, but shortly after the daily 15 minute ones were dropped from national syndication because it was hella expensive to transport the kinescopes across the country on a daily basis. Cause Daily, they were doing this, Monday through Friday. So they'd tape it and then have it shipped across the country 
for the next day. So they stopped the 15 minute one syndicating it nationally, but it was still broadcast through the West Coast. And if this isn't in the Guinness World Records, then it should be. It was the first regular live West Coast morning program beamed to the East Coast via satellite, which was super complicated for the time. Dang. And it took an intricate network of cable and relay stations. And like, that was so complicated and they it was it was the first one well again they got the space so (laughs) they had the technology yeah these are space boys they know what's up yeah Yeah, so it gets even more wild and again dad i wonder if you were even aware of this it was the subject of the u.s's first experimentation with 3d tv programming whoa yes on april 29th 1953 which i i just had no concept of it like being available like able to be done that uh, but this must have been like with you know red and blue yes, 3d you did glasses, have to right? have those red and blue glasses chris gets a point yeah. badass um Good but stuff. since many people didn't have them it did end up kind of just being a blurry experiment but what what a feat you know to have done it and yeah. how fitting for a sci-fi show to be the first one to try it that concept of like doing a live 3d program has been tried since by other shows that it would make sense for like moonlighting which was really experimental with a lot of their episodes um they tried anything and everything Thing. And one episode like didn't have a, it could be like a Shakespeare retelling in the next episode. And like it was a really experimental show. So that makes sense. Um, Third Rock from the Sun, which is another kind of family friendly sci fi show medium, which I'm not <laughs> not as they familiar did, with that well, one. <laughs> Third Rock did a 3D episode. Yeah. I guess so. That's so weird. To think yeah. About. And these things were marketed a ton. Like, and they were like, like that blue and red style. So like, yeah, you had to have those. Have so you could like get them. Horrendous. You could like write <laughs> mail in somewhere probably. And- I can't believe these networks are like fine with that. Like yeah. let's just run this across the nation. Yep. This blue and red show. And then the, the, uh, <laughs> another one that was known for trying this was uh, various episodes of Shark Week programming. Because I guess at a certain point they just like ran out of shark themed I- programming ideas. And they're like, <laughs> I was tried in 3D. I don't know. So this was essentially one of the United States' first mass media phenomenons. Like, how have we not heard of this? Mm. Um, And afterwards, this is kind of tangential. They developed an ABC radio companion series that ran from September 1950 to March 1955, spanning 129 30-minute episodes. But I don't get as into the radio show because there's too much to cover. So the show ran consecutively without a break from 1950 to 1954. Because I guess we hadn't yet like established the idea of seasons. And when someone needed a vacation or whatever, their character was just written out of the episodes for as long as it took. Wow. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about what the show was about. Please. Um, It's set in, like I said, the 30th century as someone in the 1950s would imagine the 30th century to look. Wait. (laughs) You're telling me they didn't go to the 30th century? Also, I want to say, I said 19. It's been bugging me this whole time. I haven't been listening. I said 19 years before the moon landing. It was only nine years. Oh, okay. Well, none of us caught you. I just figured you were exaggerating. I biffed it. You You borked it? I borked it. I think it's a good exaggeration, though, because you went from nine to ten more than nine, which is way too many to be 
you couldn't possibly be that dumb, Chris. So I mean, you're you had being, to have been exaggerating. You're being nice. I think everyone else listening immediately <laughs> latched onto it and hasn't been able Why to pay attention Why is no one saying anything? Yeah. Yeah. No, Idiots. Yeah, geez. <laughs> so this was at a time when Americans were obsessed with the possibility of space travel, aliens and all that shit, and also intensely infatuated with the future and futuristic societies. The creators were determined to create a children's TV show like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Mm. which were wildly popular with kids. Those are killer. Yeah. So the episodes follow the adventures of Commander-in-Chief of the United States... (laughs) (laughs) The United Space? The United States Space Patrol. That is... Okay. Wow, to be fair to me, that is tough. hard to say. Okay, Commander in Chief of the United States Space Patrol, Buzz Corey. Uh, of course, it's Buzz. Yep. So, Space Patrol is a law enforcement agency for the United Planets, an interplanetary government based on Terra, which, as you can imagine, is Earth. It's Earth. Yeah. So wait, is this this is before Buzz Aldrin, though, right? Yeah, I was yes. just thinking that. <laughs> of so like, why? Whoa. They're just it, both named Buzz. He was fated know. to be in space. That's what I'm saying. Like, maybe yeah. he didn't NASA see his name, and they were like, well, there's our astronaut. Well, Buzz yeah. is a nickname for him. Yeah, yeah it's true. true. Like, his real name is Anton. Was he, huh. did he get that nickname? Josh is making that up so <laughs> hard. <laughs> I yeah, totally I, believe that. Yeah, I was, I was on board. You no, all I, agreed. You're yeah. like, no, Buzz is definitely not his real well, name. Then, I think then it might I thought, actually be, though. I think you might be kind of right there. Well, if that is his nickname, that's where he got it from, right? Like, that's because, right. you know, as we learned last week, Buzz Lightyear wasn't a thing until yeah. the 90s. What is with Buzz in space? So Buzz Corey and his young sidekick, Cadet Happy, and like that's his name, that's his full name. (laughs) They face interplanetary villains who have schemes and plans, and those villains often had Russian or German sounding accents, as was common at the time, because this was back when xenophobia was cool, man. Um, (laughs) So Commander Corey and his crew used sci-fi gadgets like ray guns, uh, miniature spaceophones, Which I think are like smartphones, kind of, you know, which is adorable. Communicators, sure. And Atomo lights. Um, Those are dangerous. (laughs) An important element of the storytelling was ending each episode on a cliffhanger, which got viewers excited about tuning into the next installment. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) Well, and so that's a common, like what other genre do we associate with like ending every episode on a wild cliffhanger? uh, Lost. Action, oh yeah, I guess so. I was I was more going for um like a, a crazy twist cliffhanger. Oh, type Lost thing. is its own genre. Yes, but and and that totally works. Um, I'm sorry, I was trying to lead you toward um soap opera, because this is a space opera. Oh yeah, oh. that makes sense. Okay, most episodes had pulp magazine sounding titles like Revolt of the Space Rats oh, yes. and Menace the Menace of Planet X. Um, sometimes writers put in something topical, but usually it was just the cast and crew telling simplistic stories that the creators and writers thought would be fun for kids, which it was, but the parents started caring more about it too. And eventually more than 60% of the viewing audience were adults. Hmm. So the, um, regular cast consisted of commander in chief, Edward Buzz Corey. He was the senior officer of the space patrol whose tasks included clearing space lanes and uh, also maintaining just general peace in the galaxy. <laughs> Those are the two things. So that he was it a does. he was a he was a traffic 
I guess. <laughs> a traffic cop, yeah. And so that was Edward Buzz Corey. And then you had Cadet Happy Osborne. He was a graduate of Space Patrol's Space Academy. No. Um, you have Carol Carlisle, who was played by Virginia Hewitt. She was the daughter of the Secretary General of the United Planets, who works in both an administrative and scientific capacity. Carol Carl. Mm-hmm. You have to say um, Carol, the whole thing. Carol Carlisle. Oh, even better. That's, then yeah, you had Major harder. Rob Major Robbie Robertson, and he was played by Ken Mayer, and he was the security chief of the Space Patrol. He was a friend and fellow adventurer um, of Buzz Corey. Then you had Tonga, who was played by Nina Barra, and she was a villain in the earlier episodes, but was converted from the dark side and became the chief assistant to Major Robertson. Oh, there's a dark side in this one, Yeah, too. there are lots of villains. Um, so, oh, <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> so then you had uh, another ca- uh, recurring character was Prince Baccarati, and he, he was played by um, the associate producer of the show, Bella Kovach. And then Agent X, who was played by the writer of the show, Norman Jolly, and he was one of the original recurring arch-villains. So this show was the brainchild of William Mike Moser. Uh, I didn't know Mike was <laughs> was a nickname William. for William, but for Mike, it was. And Will, uh, Mike Moser was a World War II veteran, U.S. naval aviator. So in interviews, he said he developed the idea for the series while flying across the Pacific. A man named Glenn Denning was originally cast as Kit Corey and comedian Lynn Osborne as Cadet Happy Osborne. However, Glenn Denning had problems remembering lines and was replaced because it was a live show, remember? So he had trouble remembering lines and was replaced after about 25 episodes, which would be like two seasons now, but was like a week back then. That's insane. (laughs) Um, Those poor writers. Yeah, it wasn't a week, but but yeah, still. Um, And it was pretty much primarily written by one guy. That Um, poor guy. I mean, they had it fun. Sounds like, they it sounds like the, the stories were kind of collaborative, though. Like the, yeah. the, the actors on the show were kind of developing it as they went. But yes, you just maybe absolutely. gave them like a, and a lo- this and is all, what you're doing. Pretty much all of the crew was also a cast member at, at some point. They all That's played cool. like extras and just a villain in a mask or whatever. So after Glenn Denning, um, war hero Ed Kemmer replaced him. And his seriousness and military demeanor brought a maturity to the role that really resonated with people. And they thought he was way more appropriate. So he's who people think of. Unfortunately, Mike Moser was killed in a car accident in 1954. And if you'll recall, the show only ran until 1954. So that's often what people think was the beginning of the end for the series, that it just wasn't the same without him. His widow, Helen, became executive producer and Bella Kovach was appointed associate producer. Like I said, Norman Jolly wrote most of the episodes and pretty much everyone involved also played a character on the show. The production of the show was pretty interesting and different from today. Episodes were performed and broadcast live. So someone flubbed a line or an accident happened. The actors just tried to recover as fast as possible and keep going. And this was a lot for the actors because they had to memorize a 15-minute long script every day on top of the 30-minute weekly episodes. That's insane. Yeah. These were such talented... Like, this show was revolutionary and and pioneered so many different types of things. So... 
Actors also had to coordinate their on-camera movements with timed practical effects that also had to be created live and in real time. So, for instance, pistols that shot invisible rays meant they had to set up small, electrically wired explosive charges on the surface where the ray is supposed to hit. And then the actor would aim the prop ray gun at that location, squeeze the trigger, and then the special effects worker would activate a detonation switch. So, yeah, they had to do all of this live with practical effects. The marketing deals that ABC and um, Mike Moser made were extremely smart and important for the time. Um, So marketing deals included breakfast cereals, but soon expanded to games and toys. This was one of the first major things to do this. Um, That merchandising was a huge part of it. Space Patrol flashlights and emergency kits, rocket dart guns and blasters. And uh, there was even a two-foot inflatable space bunny named Cosmo from the far reaches of the galaxy that Commander Buzz Corey dealt with in one episode. Terrifying. Yep. (laughs) They sponsored a Space Patrol club that fans could join continuing merchandise tie-ins you would get special exclusive things by being part of the fan club again one of the first shows that that were part of like the national dialogue you know had all this stuff that it was the first one to do it yeah that um it's a really culturally important show that we can all kind of picture i'm sure um and was one of the cornerstones of the science fiction genre yet i don't think i had ever heard of it yeah i've never heard of that before i haven't either love it Space Patrol. Space Patrol. Patrol. Yep. But they were a force and they yeah. were cops. And, and Or police. I don't know. Space police, yeah. Space Force. No, I mean the idea. <laughs> What's Trump's thing now? What space do we I, Force. I, I space thought Force. Of that. Okay, that's, yeah, that's where I got I, it. I thought of the same thing. I was like, I wonder if this is like. <clears throat> that's yeah. probably some, where he got it. Something, too much yeah, something he barely remembers from his childhood. And he's like, oh, we shall make. I have enough power to make this happen again. Happen <laughs> now. I want the, one of my very own. The entire reason he became president yeah, exactly. was that he could reinstate the Space Force. Make his own Space Patrol. Good God. <laughs> so, yeah, Dad, thanks. I I love I was, my dad. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> wow. You still had to be the first one I to say it. it. Yep, I was the first two. one to say it this time, too, and oh, I'm the only one that means God, it. Oh, my God, no. Why are we doing um, this again? Why are we doing this again? All of our parents were so mad at us last time. Not my mine. Mom, my mom cried. Well, no, she, she <laughs> kidding. You, no. Should, you should love her more. Uh, but um, anyway, yeah, I do love you, Dad, and thanks for mentioning it because I very much enjoyed learning about it and I uh, love you. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> All right, we're back. <clears throat> um, thank you for that, Caitlin. That was very nice. Joel, don't mess it up. Oh, it's, oh. Oh, it's it's okay. Oh, he's acting like he didn't know he was Here we go. go. <laughs> oh, oh me. Alrighty, oh, me. I'll do it. Uh, my dad gave me a topic that's uh pretty. It's kind of it something I probably should have expected. I love it already. <laughs> There's a he's he changed his mind at least once throughout oh. the process, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his selection was specifically something called. Primary perception. Oh, oh man! Come <laughs> about by uh, some some guy. His name is you can. I, I've heard it promo- pronounced Clive, and I've heard it pronounced Cleve. Cleve Baxter. I hope it's Cleve. The reason why I think it's Cleve is that he was named for Grover Cleveland Baxter. Oh, then oh. yeah, probably. Junior. So basically, um, he theorized. Is it an, is it an abs- abstract concept? It, it is not an abstract concept. Okay. It's a theory. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's a term that encompasses a lot. 
<laughs> as we know. But let's start with a little Baxter backstory. Oh, point and it for is Joel. spelled that way, by the way. <laughs> it's spelled exactly the same. For Joel, okay. <laughs> All right. So, Cleve was born Grover Cleveland Baxter Jr. in 1924 in Lafayette, New Jersey. Nice. Uh, I don't think it was the Lafayette down the shore, unfortunately. It's kind of central New Jersey, it looks like, because um, there's two of them. He starts his career in the CIA. He becomes an interrogation specialist, uh, which is an intimidating title. Uh, believe it or not, there is an Academy of Scientific Interrogation. Wow. And Jaboy Cleave becomes the chairman of the Research and Instruments Committee at the Academy. And mm. so he was born and then just did this immediately? Okay, I'm jumping around here, Chris. Okay. I don't have all day. Well, I mean... <laughs> what do you want me to do? Tell backstory? you about how he was like made fun of as a kid? Yeah, That would be nice to know this about. This is a yeah. backstory, because i got to get to the topic. Okay. <laughs> so, I was just confused. You didn't say jumping ahead no. or, you know, fl- flash like, forward. Time warp. Oh. Time warp. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. There's no bullshit. <laughs> so eventually. Josh is ready for that. <laughs> he becomes the director of the Baxter School of Lie Detection. And there Ooh. he was a polygraph instructor, huh. as you might guess, because that's lie detection. After his time teaching in 1996 of all years, he goes on to get a doctorate of science in something called complementary medicine, which is kind of bullshit, um, from a place called Medicina Alternativa. Sounds legit. Which, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he takes that doctorate and turns it into a, a role at another school. So he gets hired in an institute called the California Institute for Human Science Graduate School and Research Center, which sounds that's such a sounds generic, super legit, such a generic name. Um, so this school he worked at <laughs> the was science founded, school of science. Um, yeah, it's an unaccredited university. So whatever. <laughs> so, so he this was founded by a man named Hiroshi Motoma, Motoyama. Right. Hiroshi uh, Motoyama. Yeah, Motoyama had some interesting goals. At his institute, he had said that the institute was for the study of, quote, the human being as a tri-dimensional. Oh, God. So, basically, Motoyama was a Shinto priest who, quote, has awakened to states of consciousness that enable him to see beyond the limits of space and time. (laughs) So that's where the school, this is the school he was working at. He just at. woke up one day and could, I guess, I don't know. And could do that? So this is, let's little talk a little bit about the part you might have heard of before, because this is the roots of primary perception. So that's where Baxter is kind of, he starts to work on writing his book. And his book is a compilation of about 36 years of his work. And, and it's all this wild stuff that he was doing kind of on the side throughout his career. So he writes a book released in 2003 titled Primary Perception hyphen biocommunication with plants, foods, and human cells. Oh no. So again, 36 years of research beginning in 19 in the 1960s, Baxter had been studying plants using the tools he knew, the polygraph machines. Um, so Inspired by the work. trying to figure out if plants be lying to us? (laughs) He was interrogating some plants. Oh, man. Uh, So. Why would we have heard of this? Because it's, it was, it's, it's, it's a popular, it's a popular thing. Did it make them grow better? So, so that's interesting that you say that. I'm going to give Josh a point for that. Because he, he's inspired by the work of a physicist named Jagadish 
Chandra Bose, who found that playing certain kinds of music around plants helped them grow faster. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's I, what I, I was have thinking. heard of that concept. Yeah. So Baxter began measuring electrical resistance in plants. Yeah, give Josh a point. Oh, yeah, sorry. Come on, Caitlin. Oh, <laughs> the puppy gave up hours ago. Um, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> so he's, he's measuring the electrical resistance in plants by attaching the galvanic skin response portion of the polygraph meter to the plant's leaves. Okay. Hmm. So that's how he's gauging the mood of the plants, if you will. Right. To see so, how music affects them. Kind of. I mean, he's not using, he's not using music at all. But the studies that this guy used in music kind of inspired his studies oh, okay. um, to, to try to. But he used a different technique, obviously. He wasn't using music or anything. He just wanted to try to measure these plants' responses. So before we get into too much depth here, I want to jump into a quick mini topic on electrodermal activity, which is the property of the human body that causes continuous variation in the electrical characteristics of the skin. It has many names, such as skin conductance, galvanic skin response, psychogalvanic reflex. Now they all standardize into one term as electrodermal activity. And this is used in combination with the recording of heart rate, respiratory rate, and blood pressure as part of the modern polygraph, often used as lie detectors. So that's the polygraph. That's how the polygraph test works. And it uses this electrodermal activity as a property to, to measure things. So that's one of its measurements. Okay. So he uses specifically that measurement to measure the leaves of plants. So Baxter starts interrogating plants, and uh, his first <laughs> plant experiments went like this. This is how it all started. So this is from his book. For whatever reason, it occurred to me that it would be interesting to see how long it took the water to get from the root area of this plant all the way up to its long trunk and out and down the leaves. After doing a saturation watering of the plant, I thought, well, gee whiz, I've got a lot of polygraph equipment around. Let me hook the galvanic skin response section of the polygraph into the leaf. He observed that the reaction of the plants were similar to that of a human being tested, and that's when he stopped worrying about how the water was moving through the plant and started thinking how to threaten the plant to make it respond. So he means where his mind goes. Right. Like, what am I good at? He's an interrogation expert. That's yeah. this whole thing. So he claimed that just thinking about harming the plant sent the needle moving as if it was afraid of his thoughts. After fur oh, further tests, okay. he decided to test the plant's empathy by killing brine shrimp in front of the plants. This result convinced him that the plants had a telepathic awareness. Okay. okay. Well, you started to lose me a uh -huh. little. You had me for a Did bit. I? Yeah. Well, it gets better. Okay. Uh, this is a pretty, this was televised a lot. He went on like. My dad made it clear to explain this to me. He was like, he would go on like, you know, TV, like daytime and nighttime TV shows and like demonstrate this a lot. Like people loved this shit. They ate it up. They were like, plants can feel? They were freaking out. So everybody was like, you know, he, he his argument was that everything could do this, any living thing. So he turned, mm. he termed this uh, demonstration of telepathic awareness, primary perception. And... He went on to do similar studies with yogurt bacteria, eggs, human sperm, and he claimed his results showed that primary perception could be measured in all living things, like we just said. So huh. the Mythbusters, blah, 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 the Mythbusters, oh yeah, Discovery Channel classic, they tested this oh, and proved awesome. that with the polygraph, it actually works. 
Like oh, they wow. couldn't just using the polygraph. They could like make those needles freak out just by thinking about burning plants. And it, it's, wow. it's, there's a lot, there's clips on YouTube of it. It's great. So, and they couldn't bust that part of it, but then they did eventually bust the entirety of the myth by using a ultra sensitive EEG measurement, which is what modern doctors use now. That's to an measure. electroencephalogram. Good. Josh just gets a point. Cause I actually didn't record that. <laughs> didn't write it down. Or electroencephalograph. But, yeah. It's a really cool device that is just a far more sensitive tool. And some of the issues with the polygraph, the polygraph has has these issues that basically the myth mythbusters were like, this is why it's not great. Like we couldn't disprove it, but we also couldn't prove it very well because the polygraph is affected by a lot of external factors mm. and it tends to skew results. So temperature, humidity, static electricity, but also internal factors like medications and hydration levels can change the EDA measurements. That's the uh, electrodermal stuff that we were talking about. So those measurements are really not very effective. That's why the polygraph uses all those other things to really do its job. Like you can't just measure poly, you know, the electrodermic response. You have to go with more than that. It's also been noted that different places of the body have a very like varied reaction when you do that that electrodermal response, you're like, if I put it on your leg versus up on your arm, it's a very different response. Mm. So although it's like a very real thing that your skin does and most living things do respond to, medical doctors do rely on that EEG measurement because it's just it's just much more accurate. And uh, it happens to be far more expensive too, which I'm sure they love. Um, the scientific community had a really hard time embracing his work as his studies were criticized as being poorly controlled. Mm, um, yeah. So when con- proper controls were used, there was no detection of plant reaction to um, huh. thoughts or threats. So the repeatability was a big problem. They couldn't repeat his experiments very well. And his argument was like, well, you're just not doing it right. (laughs) Only Um, I can do it. Right. Yeah. And only when no one else is watching. Exactly. (laughs) And his refusal to like use proper controls is kind of a red flag. But the strongest like scientific argument that I really enjoy against his theories comes from, as far as I can see, it comes from a guy named a biologist. Uh, That's not his name. He's a biologist. (laughs) Uh, Arthur Galston. And uh, he said... We know plants don't have a nervous system, but they do have a little electrical current flowing through them and are subject to outside manipulation. So this makes a lot of sense to me because most living things have an electromagnetic field like because they're they're taking in energy and they're expelling energy constantly. It doesn't matter. So your cells are constantly doing stuff. So you're, you have electromagnetism around you at all times and the polygraph is going to pick up on that and it's going to react to it and change it based off of like you know outside factors so life doesn't have to have a nervous system but it might be able to produce these kind of effects but it doesn't necessarily mean that it can feel and it doesn't necessarily mean that it can (laughs) react to your thoughts don't tell me what my plants can and can't do sure um and i want (laughs) to okay all right caitlin plants can be whatever they want to be when they grow up (laughs) this is a fun like ornery farmer character that you got (laughs) going on so i come here on my farm tell me my plants can't feel my plants can't think and feel for themselves this is rude um (laughs) so i wanted to mention the way that uh i don't know if anybody watches twin peaks but david lynch uses these theories quite heavily in his demonstration of like the way that that negative energy flows throughout the world of twin peaks so you'll he'll have these like long quiet shots of like power lines and like 
like something negative will happen in the show and then he'll just like slowly pan away from the scene into like nothingness or into like a generator or into like a power line and it'll just sit there the scene will just sit there and then all of a sudden you hear like electrostatic sound in the background and he's just implying that like negative energy flows to and from the black lodge which is a spoiler Mm. for twin peaks if y'all are interested but it's a it's a weird show it's really good but he uses like the fact that negative that energy exists in the world and is manipulated in a lot of ways doesn't necessarily mean that all living things are active sentient beings <laughs> yeah i think that and the fact that this guy was like what three by the time he did all this because he just was born and yeah, then he just and did then it immediately yeah, it just got and then yeah and then yeah. it was 96 and nobody, nobody i was not like denied. why would you believe him he's a child you're, you're how many hours of uh practice do you have to Ten thousand. yeah not for this guy <laughs> uh so yeah plants have esp deal with it i guess okay how do you feel about your dad, Joel? I uh, tell us, Joel. No, I love my dad way more than Chris does. Uh, I, yeah, I don't really love your dad. I like him. <laughs> I've met him. He's wise. very nice. No, that was a great. Uh, that was a great topic. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. That was a good Thanks, one. Joel. That was really dad. good. I, yeah. I actually, I, I would bet that he enjoys most of my topics because they're they're on point with his uh, sense and sensibilities, as they say. Nice. So, thanks, Dad. Rupi doesn't have a father. I was created for the entertainment of one out of four experts, and my lineage is a mystery. You can email one out of four experts at gmail.com to send in topics, and you can follow them on the big social media as you would expect them to be on. I'm a dragon. Four experts. All right. Thanks. We're back. Thanks for sticking with us. We're still celebrating Father's Day all day long. Yeah. It, uh, the sun never sets on Father's Day. We're here at one out of four experts. <laughs> and Josh, what's uh, what's Tompkins got for us? So Tompkins got a good one. Before I jump in here, I need to lay down a fundamental principle of the universe, which oh. is kind of similar to where Joel left off. <laughs> okay. Everything's got electromagnetism, right? So if something exists, then it vibrates. Everything, it. everything in the universe is shaking always. I love how all of our dads are basically just David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. So usually they're shaking at scales much too large or too small for people to realize, but everything is shaking. You can't do anything about it. But it's all about those good vibrations, right? Aww, that's cute. <laughs> but today, you guys want to hit those those Beach Boy harmonies real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ooh. Oh, no, that's what I, you're talking about. I, I don't know. know. Was I? All right, we failed. Good. <laughs> today, I need more time to prepare for that. Today, okay. I'm going to talk about a particular vibration or a resonance, more accurately, uh, the Schumann resonance. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the brown note. So have any of you have, have any of you heard of this before? The Schumann resonance it is it the brown so note? No. Or I bet my resonances. dad talked about it at some point in my life. <laughs> yeah, so I hadn't heard of it until... I don't think I have. Yeah, I didn't either until my dad pitched this topic. I gotta say, it's super interesting, but the popular, or the more popular perception of Schumann resonances seem a little eccentric. First off, they are a very scientific thing. So I'm using NASA as a source. The Schumann resonance is the fundamental frequency of the space between the Earth's surface and the ionosphere, which begins about 60 miles above the Earth's surface and extends to about 600 miles out. Oh, no. So Schumann resonances are generated by lightning. 
Uh, ball lightning. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Basically, every is it time. Scary? Is it scary? I'll let you decide. It oh, might be. Good. Sounds like your dad pitched a Joel topic. Oh, I think it pitched a Josh topic. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, it's kind of up in the air right well, now. Yeah. So basically, every time lightning strikes, it sends out this electromagnetic pulse, which has a wavelength greater than the Earth's circumference. So as the wave travels around the Earth, it runs into itself, which amplifies it, which creates resonance. So we got these like self-propagating waves. And, and what are they caused by? They're caused by lightning? lightning. Yeah. Okay. So at any given moment, there are roughly 2,000 thunderstorms happening around the world. Chris, uh-huh. can you believe that shit? And I mean, uh, and, well, what about us? Yeah, wait. We can't believe it either. And those 2,000 thunderstorms generate about 50 lightning strikes every single second. Uh, that uh, I find hard to believe. That's a lot of lightning, Chris. Yeah. But it's what happening. F- are we part of this show or what? Josh, tell me more. Joel, are you ready for this? Yeah. All right. So you got 50 lightning strikes per second, each sending out an electromagnetic pulse, and all those waves bouncing around come in at a consistent and ultra low frequency of 7.83 hertz. Okay. But there are a lot of other factors that could impact that frequency. 7.8. Caitlin. Okay. Yep, I'm ready. That's low. That's real low, Josh. Yeah. You can't so, hear that. No. So quick and important mini topic, the ionosphere. Wait, is this for me? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. The ionosphere Nobody is- Nobody else is anymore because of the burp. <laughs> the ionosphere is the ion- Oh, shit. Now you fucked me. The ionosphere is the ionized <laughs> part of the Earth's atmosphere, which means atoms flying around in that area are missing electrons. So they're ionized. Yes. And it is ionized by solar radiation. So the ionosphere forms the inside edge of the magnetosphere and it propagates radio waves around the planet. So mm-hmm. it's the reason radio works. Mm-hmm. They bounce around in the ionosphere and they kind of go jump around the planet. It's pretty cool. I think it also is the same, the same part of the atmosphere that breaks up the solar radiation that hits the planet. Yeah, yeah. Joel okay, gets a point. Because yeah. oh. while well, we were talking about the bit flipping stuff in the, in the other yeah. that segment that I had, that was all that sun radiation. Stardust. Stardust. Yeah. Cosmic yeah. rays. It gets, it gets broken up and it doesn't, it hits the Earth in a totally different form than it was before because it yeah. picks up. So, yeah, uh, it's the last barrier between Earth and unfiltered energy from the sun. So, you got to respect the Raw unfiltered energy. <laughs> yeah, you have no fucking idea, Caitlin. If I had to guess, and I got to check with my pops, my dad heard about Schumann resonances because he recently got into ham radio. Oh, I yeah. could be wrong, but that, that's my guess. Ham. Ham. Anyway, the Schumann resonances were predicted by and named after a German physicist by the name of Winfried Otto Schumann. And when you say predicted by, do you mean that like he hadn't even like really found proof of them, but he thought they existed? So he proved them mathematically. Oh, that's what I that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, so he he uh, proved them mathematically in 1952, but they weren't actually measured until the early 1960s. And in addition to the fundamental frequency of 7.83 hertz, otherwise known as the ohm frequency, the brown tone. Remember that ohm. That's thing. really interesting that remember that's the meditation the frequency. Ohm. Yes. So but you can't produce 7.8 Hertz. Sure you can, but that's I'll get into that and just give me a minute. So there are other common peaks of 14.3 hertz, 20.8 hertz, 27.3 hertz, and 33.8 hertz. Are they harmonic intervals? I believe so. That makes sense. Does Joel get a point for that? That yeah. seems point worthy. Get a point. 
So the study of Schumann resonances have been used to collect data on global lightning activity. They're used to monitor changes in global temperature. They can be used to track moisture levels in the troposphere, which is the part of the atmosphere in which we live. And they could even track lightning on a few of the other planets in our solar system. Because, yeah, any, any planet that produces lightning produces Schumann resonances. And they are measured by research stations that are located all over the world. And specialized instruments that are extremely sensitive to electromagnetic activity are required to detect and measure the waves. But recently, the Schumann resonances have been spiking like crazy. Oh, no. Oh, I know this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's not. Yeah, like considerably higher than ever measured before. Of course. So very recently, on May 29th, actually, so just a couple days ago, uh, <laughs> there was a measured spike up to 83 hertz. So again, the fundamental frequency is 7.83 hertz. Oh my God. That's a huge, huge spike. That's and wild. We, we can't say for sure what's causing this intense activity. I mean, probably just yeah, the there's end so of the many world. YouTube videos of this nonsense, right? Like a lot of YouTubers just being like, the world's going to end tomorrow. And Joel gets a point. Yeah. Oh I love these so guys. So this is where things get particularly interesting. And there is absolutely no mention of this at all on Wikipedia or any <laughs> scientific resource. So in my research. If you consider Wikipedia scientific. But like there are sources that Wikipedia uses, you know, it's like they yeah. have to source a lot of the things that are on there. Absolutely. Um, so it, I was trying to do some research on YouTube. And like Joel mentioned, there's a lot of weird shit out there. There are a lot of like 10 hour long videos that it's just the frequency 7.83 hertz uh -huh. for 10 hours uninterrupted. <laughs> uh, it's there's I could find no video actually just explaining what the fuck these things are. Oh, to wow. be fair, though, you can find a 10 hour loop of just about anything on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, it exists. But it's I couldn't find uh, any like there. scientific thing explaining yeah. what Schumann resonances are. Yeah, so wait, what do they And use it's a very scientific thing. I just listed off 20 things that they use <laughs> Schumann resonances for. Oh. Shit, dude. My bad. I'll read the list again. <laughs> There's a puppy in here. Did I mention that earlier? <laughs> you don't have to read the list again. His little, his little just, just all I want to know is that they're used for something. Yes, and, they are and used. Somebody for, heard it. They're so used for fine. lots of different things, and also in a more modern sense, they're uh, they could potentially use them as earthquake detection. Right. Oh wow. That's so, kind of. I was gonna say that there's seismic stuff, right? Yeah. Because I've seen YouTube videos of people showing the fields. Like on sometimes it's stuff. seismic. It, it could be used for a lot of different things. And again, there could be many factors impacting Schumann resonances. They might be going crazy because of the sun or because of changes to the climate or a combination therein. Mm -hmm. uh, but the cause isn't necessarily important to a lot of people. What matters is the meaning behind the spikes. So again, this is where shit started getting weird. According to one source I found, which has multiple measurements of Schumann resonances posted throughout the day, every day, wow. as well as lots of batshit insane conspiracy theories, uh, the author has this to say about Schumann resonances. Quote, this is my opinion on the connection with the soul of the planet Earth, Gaia, which is happening to a large number of people and which can involve phenomena of various kinds. We are at a time when the planet, Gaia, is moving towards the fifth dimension, uh -huh. and there is a feeling that is nearing that it is nearing completion. This change is happening regardless of, of what the people living on the planet will do. 
There are a number of micro-events going on, and the number of people awakening and increasing their vibrational frequency makes the difference on the number of these micro-events and their time frequency. The more people awake, the more micro-events number. Yeah, I mean, fifth world problems, man. I'm about halfway through. I think that we are experiencing with the Schumann resonance is connected to the growth of our frequency and to our connection with the terrestrial energy network. It's a powerful connection and can cause some discomfort sometimes. We're adjusting our vibrational frequency. We're tuning into Gaia's. I don't think there will be what the, quote, narrative of light calls the event. Let's say that timeline has changed. There are a series of continuous events, some even on the physical plane. Someone in the future may even decide that a particular moment can be called, quote, the event. But when that happens, it will have lost its meaning completely. I'm so confused. Now, if that sounds like the ramblings of a fucking crazy person, that's because it is. That makes makes perfect sense. I was going to say all that. So, yeah, there's some weird mind, body, spirit, earth connection going on. And it seems scary or reassuring. Something Chris would intro an episode segment with. Yeah. So, like, I've never been this lost before. Well, I I think they're saying, like, whatever the whatever's going on with the Schumann resonances is because. Because we're the, becoming fifth dimensional beings. Because yeah, we're all the, so woke. And Mother yeah. Mother Earth is trying to tell us something about its soul and our souls. and we're, Mother Gaia. And it's, yeah. it's everything that matters, but at the same time, none of it none matters. None of it, nothing yeah. has ever mattered. So it, But yeah, it does seem like there but are- But it always will. But it seems like there are a lot of people that are heavily into this Schumann resonance thing as some type of holistic healing deal. Like oh. Dr. This tanning booth hot dog looking motherfucker seems like he has a microphone headset permanently attached to his waxy looking face. And the best part, he's not an actual doctor. He's not a fucking doctor. His doctor title comes from the fact that he got a chiropractic degree from some shithole called Life University. He's not a real doctor. So he's one of those arrogant ass snake oil salesmen that makes a living selling books telling people how they don't need surgery. They just need to think better and tap into the vibes of the universe. I won't even read Excellent. the titles of this guy's books like this absolute friggin miscreants books like it's bad enough i said his dumbass name chris you should bleep his name like i don't want to give i'm not giving this fucko a platform he's a terrible person fuck that guy so schumann resonances are a very real and scientifically significant thing or if and not to like not as medicine yes exactly or if you're a too well-off idiot that doesn't believe in modern medicine, but will happily follow the word of an anthropomorphic bratwurst. Like, they're cured all your problems then. <laughs> Except they're not because medicine is real and thinking cancer away won't work. Nope. That's so, the worst one, too. Definitely don't do that one. Schumann resonances. Ah, uh, yo. And I love my dad, and uh, uh, my dad is cooler than all your dads. And uh, uh, I mean, he could also beat up all your dads. Whoa. That's... True. <laughs> wow, cheese. Uh, but your dad I mean, does like emergency response stuff, so he's pretty. Yeah, capable. and he's a funeral director. It's, it sounds well, like uh, if, our dads would probably get along pretty well here, huh? <laughs> what if all our dads ganged up on your dad? Actually, Chris, our dads yeah. would get along too because my dad uh, used dad to ride a bike around yeah, all the time. My dad yeah. rides bikes. He's a bike dad. Oh my god! If all of our dads bike bikes dad. together, my dad bikes to work like really? every day. This is wild. All our dads would probably be pretty friendly with one another. Yep. Do we all have the same dad? <laughs> are we no, you, you guys are not describing my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he gets along with everybody and he's extremely lovable. You can't you can't not get along with my dad. So for that reason alone, he'd, true. Be, he'd be pals with all your dads. Dad pals. Whoa. 
Okay, Chris's topic. Now let's go. Very clearly ripping off SpongeBob. Yeah, we all, uh, dude. I, we all. We're all SpongeBob fans. Trying right? so hard over here. Clearly, oh, I'm trying hard. I'm just gonna make fart sounds. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Low effort. That's the hardest. I'm a can professional. Try. All right. Okay, so uh, he's a new dad. Give him some slack. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It, this is gonna be a like. Look, uh, we're gonna ease down from. From that last one. Okay. In what? In in it's just a, it's uh, just emotional a, level or tone? It's going to be just like a, an easygoing topic. All right. Yeah, um, I like it. Uh, first, before I do it, I want to say I think my mom and my dad were in cahoots because my dad's topic is like, I feel like it's pretty similar to my mom's topic in that. It's, he also picked brunch. He also picked brunch. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he picked but second breakfast. <laughs> it is it is food related. And uh, it's uh, kind of, I feel like it's related to Father's Day. So it's barbecue. Oh, yes. yeah. That's so on on the brand for on them. Fleek. Yeah. On, it's on, on fleek. fleek and so brand. Th- let me ask you this: Does your dad is he a is he a pit master? Is he a, is he a pro? He's been known to dabble in the pit before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's gotten into the pit. He's, yeah, he's opened this pit up. He's gotten into the pit with the big dog. Yeah. Get into the pit with what's your dad's name? Tom. Tom. Get into the pit with Tom. <laughs> Tom and Josh's dad. Tom in the pit. <laughs> Welcome to Caitlin's new segment. Tom hey, in the Chris, pit. Tom and Tom, Tom in the pit. Our dads should have their own podcast just <laughs> called Tom and Tom. And they just talk about what it's like having that name. Yeah. Tom Tom. <laughs> they just call up other Toms and interview them. Any, anybody. <laughs> Anyone call you by your first name today? So anyway, uh, no joke. The first source that I found stated with zero sarcasm that the first barbecue dates back to around 1.8 million years ago when Homo erectus began cooking meat with fire. I mean, I technically, okay. That was not followed with an LOL in parentheses (laughs) or a JK or anything like that. So similar to brunch, I found some different accounts on where barbecue originated, though it's not as highly debated as brunch. They've traced it back to one area of the world in particular. One source stated that the word barbecue comes from the Indo-Caribbean tribe called the Taino. The Taint? No. Uh, the, the Taint? The No. They have a word, barbacoa, which uh, my phone insisted was supposed to be Barbados four times before I allowed me to type <laughs> back in my notes. Thanks a lot, Steve. But, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's dead, so. It's <laughs> still his fault. We won in the end. Oh, um, so uh, you're probably familiar with this word if you go to any taco joints, because uh, a lot of places have uh, barbacoa tacos. Yes. So good. It's yeah, delicious. Absolutely yeah. killer. Very good. There's Lone a smoke, star smoked out. brisket, but uh, the actual <laughs> word barbacoa refers <laughs> to... You just burp just, off, Mike? No, just... Uh, yeah, he's yeah, just, just, he's just, just imagining uh, Lone Star's barbacoa tacos. He had an involuntary emotional reaction. So the word barbacoa actually refers to grilling on a raised wooden grate. That's what that's what they meant by it. Oh, they used a wooden grate. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. A lot. Surprising. So a lot of a lot of barbecue is wood involved. It's mostly wood, actually. Mm. Uh, and do you get into how barbecue is different from smoking? So smoking it. So I'm, I'll, I'll I'll get I'll get into it more. So another source stated that is derived from the word barbecue, which comes from the Arawak people of the Caribbean, and also the uh, Tim. I have didn't even practice saying this. This is maybe the first <laughs> time I actually looked at this word. Uh, Tim Timic. <laughs> Temecula people of Florida. Um, so all from that same part of the world, but just like different tribes, basically. They're not sure which one it came from. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary actually traces the word to Haiti, 
and translates it to a framework of sticks set upon posts, which on its own doesn't sound anything like barbecue. It's like a treehouse. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's a, they're t- referring to a cooking can you eat yeah, thing. They don't, yeah, they don't mention cooking at when, all. When do you well, eat it? <laughs> I mean, that's up to you. <laughs> The actual word barbecue, so the English word, it was first used by a Spanish explorer, Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo y Valdez, uh, and he found himself in the West Indies, and he wrote an account of his time there and used the word barbecue to describe what he saw the natives doing, which was roasting meat over a grill consisting of a wooden framework above a fire. And the flames and smoke would rise up, and it enveloped the meat, and it gave it that certain flavor. Mm-hmm. So uh, some traditional barbacoa involved digging a hole in the ground and putting a pot in with the meat above it so the juices of the meat would make a broth in the pot. And then they okay. cover the hole with leaves and coal, and they just set the whole goddamn thing on fire, <laughs> and they leave it there for hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's barbecue. Hell yeah. Because barbecue definitely came from a native group, uh, even though sources can't seem to agree on which one. Uh, Europeans didn't really take to barbecue at first, and uh, they gave it, quote, savage connotations. Two thumbs down. Yeah. I thought you were going to say gave it two thumbs down. Yeah, I mean, they do, they do give it two thumbs down. But uh, some guy named Edmund Hick- Hickrenell, Hickrenell? Uh, which my phone uh, corrected to Bickering Elk a few times. Uh Um, He wrote a dumb book that I guess people read. Uh, He described these native tribes as practicing cannibalism during these barbecues. Now we know that Bickering Elk made that up. Uh, (laughs) Turns out he was just racist. Ah, that makes Uh, sense. The big R. So jumping ahead to more modern times, uh, barbecue can refer to the actual method used to cook food. The food itself or the social gathering we know and love. So you can barbecue, barbecue at the barbecue. Yes. I want to get into some different styles of good old-fashioned American barbecue in the South, because that's what they're known for besides their coolicles. Um, there's there's <laughs> lots of different that. kinds. Lots of different kinds. So we're going we're gonna to jump in. And um, none of them are grilling, right? No, no. Got so you. I'm going to get into that at the end. Um, <laughs> as far as I can tell, there are four main styles of barbecue based on region. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the Carolinas, Kansas City, Memphis, and Texas. Huh. Um, and there are definitely other styles and other regions, but these are the four horsemen of the barbecue apocalypse. <laughs> Badass. N- not to be confused with the four horsemen of the apocalypse barbecue. <laughs> Which is a fun get-together that the four horsemen have after the apocalypse. <laughs> and uh, famine, famine makes a great macaroni salad. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, may, I may upset some barbecue enthusiasts uh, if any of my sources were incorrect. Because I feel like this is one of those things where people just... Take it pretty yeah, pretty, pretty seriously. Yeah, they take... V- yeah, it's very personal. Yeah. For, and if, if you're from that region. I assume... The yeah, there's a lot of rivalries, I assume. Don't mess with Pit Boss. But if I'm wrong and you're from one of these places, feel free to put me on blast for it. Um, so I'm going to start with the Car- the Carolinas. Uh, Carolina barbecue is mainly pork, either pulled, shredded, or chopped, and it's rubbed with a spice mixture and smoked in a smoker uh, using hardwood like oak or hickory. So mm-hmm. smoking is considered barbecue. That's like one of the ways you can barbecue okay. something. It's not like barbecue or smoking. It, it is barbecue. Mm. Um, gotcha. So it's regarded as the oldest form of American barbecue, uh, the Carolina region. 
their their way of barbecuing. I enjoy it very much. Uh, I feel like that sentence is what's going to get people upset by yeah, calling it the yeah. oldest one because there's definitely people yeah. out there that disagree with that. But and that uh, goes back 1.8 million years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Homo, homo erectus yeah. in North Carolina. <laughs> Smoking dope ass pork yeah. ribs. <laughs> So, um, in Eastern North Carolina, so, uh, in Eastern North Carolina, they'll do what they call a whole hog barbecue yeah. or they'll cook the whole goddamn pig at once. And then they chop it up and mix it together afterwards from the rooter to the tutor. Yeah. <laughs> Point saying. for Joel. Um, <laughs> so Western North Carolina uses mainly the pork shoulder and both East and West North Carolina use wow. vinegar based sauces. Ooh, big um, fan. East and yeah, West North fan. Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about them Fuck. vinegar sauces. <laughs> South Carolina, on the other hand, uses its own sauce, which includes vinegar, but also has a base of mustard as well as brown sugar. And they call it Carolina gold sauce. Whoa, That's that, that shit though. So yeah. good. So Kansas City barbecue. This is also going to upset some purists. It's going to sound like a low blow to Kansas City barbecue. So skip ahead if you're from there and this is going to upset you. Apparently, it's traced back to Henry Perry, who is a restaurateur from Memphis, which, if you recall, is another region that I'm going to get into. Yeah. So Whoa. basically, they're saying Kansas City barbecue is just derivative of Memphis barbecue. Which is shots fired. I, yeah. I think that's probably okay. To say, or you think it's you agree with? I it? I agree or? that it's probably true, and I don't think anybody should be offended by it. I, don't, I mean, like I, I can't say. <laughs> That's I'm, what I'm, I'm not from either of those places. I'm just assuming that it's it's real cutthroat down there. Oh yeah. So Kansas City barbecue has a wide variety of meats, including pork, beef, and lamb. And there's a strong emphasis on the sauce and the French fries that come with the meat. The French fries are a big part of it. It's not just the meat. Huh. In Kansas City, they'll slow smoke the meat in a dry rub over a large variety of woods. And they use a tomato-based barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's the thicker um, one. That's Kansas very, that's very important. That's like integral yep. to, uh, to Kansas City barbecue. So Memphis barbecue, they have two main dishes that they do better than anyone else. And that's their ribs, which you can get wet or dry, and their barbecue sandwiches. Wet ribs are brushed with sauce before and after cooking it, and dry ribs have a dry rub on it. And the sandwiches are usually pulled pork sandwiches served on a bun with barbecue sauce and coleslaw. A little fun fact, people from Memphis, uh, who are called Memphians, they put pulled pork on just about everything. Mm -hmm. And it's not limited to salads, baked potatoes, spaghetti... Pizza and nachos. They put pulled pork on all of those things. Nice. Spaghetti's so. a, oh, an outlier it. there, huh? It's an interesting yeah, I mean, choice. I could picture it, though. Yes. I could picture the taste. is interesting. I is mean, it really a salad, salad anymore can, at yeah. that point? You can picture the taste? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like in I my could, mind's I could, eye. I could put that taste together in my in mouth. my mind palette. Texas itself, as we all know, is very large mm -hmm. and uh, has a number of different styles within itself. So I think they just kind of bunched them all together and called it Texas barbecue. But that can be like so many different That's where things. Where we get into that beef? Yeah, uh, a lot of beef. Um, ah, okay. But in some parts of Texas, uh, they do it the traditional way where they'll take the head of a cow and they'll cook it underground in a hole <laughs> and they just set it on fire. And yeah, you, you got cowboy style, which is where they cook it directly on the mesquite wood. And they're not afraid to cook things like goat or mutton either. 
And then uh, I want to give an honorable mention to Virginia. It's believed that some of the first barbecues in the United States actually happened in Virginia, some of which were thrown by none other than George motherfucking Washington. Nice. Nice. And one of the first laws passed in Virginia in the 1650s. Everyone must have barbecue every Friday. (laughs) No, but it forbade the discharge of guns at a barbecue. Ooh. So it was a respectful gathering no shooting guns. No sure. funny business. Yeah. Gun it control. Like, it sounds like this. Virginia's got the the first celebratory like event yeah. barbecue. Not so, like not yeah. like the style of food or whatever. The like, social just, gathering yeah. barbecue. Yeah. Yes. Some some of the techniques. So there's smoking, uh, which is a way of either flavoring, cooking, or preserving food, or all three if you want by exposing it to smoke, usually from wood. So that's one way you can barbecue, like I was saying earlier. Uh, then you have roasting, which uses a masonry oven and allows for an open flame. So in this way, it's similar to the smoke pit in the ground because mm. you just have a big open flame there. Then you got braising, which is when you put the meat inside of a pot on top of a grill. And it's a slower way of cooking meat, but this is how you get that fall off the bone kind of barbecue. Uh, then you got good old fashioned grilling. And I feel like we all know what grilling is. And uh, chilling. But yeah. uh, but so a little bit about grilling. Uh, a lot of people don't actually consider grilling to be barbecuing. I, d- I, I am one of those. Yeah. And uh, I want to read a text from my dad when he suggested barbecue <laughs> to me. Okay. It says, to be clear, barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> barbecue is different than grilling. Grilling is done at high heat for a short period of time. And barbecue is done at low heat for a long period of time. That type of cooking is what makes the meat fall off the bone good. Heck yeah. I like that and he didn't trust you to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. now, Chris. Oh, my dumb idiot of a son. Don't you just make barbecue <laughs> jokes the whole time? my dumb idiot of a son out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yes. He's right. Grilling is good if you want your meat right now, but a lot of people don't even consider grilling to be barbecue in the first place, even though they're usually used interchangeably. Grilling is fast and efficient, while barbecue is a slow process over a low heat in a long time. While it's slow and inefficient. Yeah. Mm. I feel like <laughs> yeah, a lot of basically. people probably, they host barbecues. And then they, they grill. grill. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just, like, wait a second. So yeah, next time you're at a barbecue, just look around and think, am I really at a barbecue? Right <laughs> so one last thing I want to want to get into before, before the end of the topic. My dad wanted me to go into the top 10 barbecue places in America. Oh, Whoa, wow. yeah, okay. As, as um, determined oh, by who? We're, well, we're okay. rolling out. On another episode of Chris's Divers. Okay. Come on, Guy Fury. That is, okay, okay, okay. Bring us the flavor town. Okay. Jesus Christ, two points for Joel. God damn it. Anyway, this turned out to be quite an undertaking. No two lists are the same. Oh. Just go with Guy Fieri's. It's fine. That's what I fucking do, Joel. You're ruining it for (laughs) me. So... What I was going to do originally was I, lo- I looked on Yelp. I looked at a bunch of lists online. It's hard to say, really, because the lists differ so much based on what style you prefer. So I actually legitimately started to comb through multiple lists and then find the repeat offenders on those Ooh, lists. Ooh, that's good. And then, that's good work. then take the spots that they were ranked at 
and then find the medium ranking Holy of all shit. of those places. Wow. Give Chris a point. And then oh, I was yeah. going to, well, I didn't end up doing this though. I did it for a little bit and I was <laughs> oh, like, this is too did much you just work. Have a point did for you doing just the theory work? it out or did you do any of that? I did. I did it for a little bit. Okay. You could, I could show you the paper that I started writing Considering on. But. I could started, show you the spreadsheet. You start, I know for a fact you started your research uh, yesterday. So. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that is true. But uh, anyway, yeah. So it was going to be my own definitive uh, ranking of all these places that I've never been to myself. <laughs> But then, um, but then it was too much work, and you know I've never been there, so it didn't seem like a really good way of doing it. So never been where, Chris. Eventually, I landed on this handpicked from the man himself, straight out of Flavor Town. Yes, uh, these <laughs> are out of Flavor Town. Guy Fieri's top. <laughs> to you hot. The Guy Fieri's top six for some reason barbecue joints from around the country. Six six six. This was the only way to make everyone happy. <laughs> um, so in no order, his his top six. John Moles Meats and Roadkill Grill in Las Vegas, Nevada. Whoa. Uh, Wilson's Holy Smoke Barbecue in Fairfield, Connecticut. These wow. are not I think he might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Whitner's Barbecue in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Okay. Um, smoke spelt with a Q and a U Barbecue Ooh. in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, uh, Martin's Barbecue Joint in Nolansville, Tennessee. Okay, that's all right. That sounds legit. That's and fine. Gorilla Barbecue in Pacific. Pacifica, California. So I feel like Guy Fieri has no idea what the fuck he's talking yeah, about. This is just, I bet you this list is based off of places that he went to in the show. So he was well, just like, these are the best ones that no, I went so to. No, so there was a barbecue episode uh-huh. where he said, these are my top spots to go in the country for barbecue. And he went to those six places. Okay. Based off of, I guess he's been to all of them mm-hmm. in the in the country. And yeah, so he knows what are the he best. He knows. He's been to all of them. But like the best barbecue actually isn't going to be at a restaurant. For it's going to be yeah. on like some dude's land. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> some plantation somewhere. In the country. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably not accurate. Uh, it really would have been impossible to find the best barbecue places in America because nobody agrees because there's so many different ways to do barbecue. Yeah. No one can get along, so we can't have nice things. And instead, we got Guy Fieri's list. And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Um, but I enjoyed that very much. Not the first yeah. time I've settled for Guy Fieri. <laughs> but I do want to say, um, hey, Dad, I love you. And uh, I mean, you knew that already. But uh, what else can I say? You're my dad. You're you're a great dad. You helped me with my math homework. And I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, Chris, you failed math class <laughs> every year. <laughs> I keep trying Every every time he helped him with his math homework last night. <laughs> Chris uh, is working to get his uh, his GED, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but uh, and he still manages a team of sixty people and has to regularly handle cash. Yeah. It's a problem. Uh-huh. It doesn't make sense. Don't think about it too much. We'll be right back. Whoa, 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 welcome back to One Out of Four Experts. Whoa, 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 we run it. All right, you're not going to do it. This, okay, that's nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> you missed the button. Oh, shit. So, yeah, it's it's the end of the show. We, we did all of the things that we do in every other episode. Um, there was some extra mention of dads this episode. Mm-hmm. There's always some mention of dads in every episode, but there was a lot of mention of dads this episode. Yeah, that's a little Easter egg. I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we mentioned dads at least once every episode. Yep. Yeah, go back and listen to them. And yeah, try prove and find us it. wrong. And find the other things we mention every episode. There are no fewer than 17. Most of them are bodily functions. 
and one of them is the word crib death. <laughs> Which okay, we, so Josh that's is the first Josh time is we've legitimately said now, that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so and that's the magic word. Josh that's is done talking now. The word of the day. Josh is done. All right. Well, this is the time of the end of the show. Oh. Um, where this we is the time each week where tally we up like to get together and barbecue. No, we're gonna tally, tally up, up the points, points, barbecue up them points until they're just fall off the bone, delicious. And mm-hmm. who did them? Well, I think it was it was me one, Chris one. It doesn't even show. matter, Joel, because okay. you have so many points. Whoa! Oh. Yeah, I didn't get Sleeper a single pick. point. Chris got one, two if you count Gina's, uh, which we do, which yeah, we nice. do. <laughs> She did some crap. So Chris has two. Nice. Josh has two. Joel has, including Gina, seven. Nice. That's, That's a bunch of points. Wild. Yeah. I had no idea I was doing any of that. Just knows yeah. a lot about dads. Yeah. He's a new dad. Well, yeah. He's I mean, the only dad out of all of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good golly, y'all. That dog was very distracting to me all episode, but I'm glad he was here. Yeah, I'm sure glad I'm glad you guys here. enjoyed it because it's going to be a hell of a ride home and a, a rough night. <laughs> so, Oh, he poops everywhere he's not supposed to. Uh, and he pukes in the so car. So far, just one where he's not supposed to, which is in the house. So Yeah, yeah but he throws up in a car. Uh, yeah, he can't, he can't car ride. Well, maybe now he's empty, so it'll be all right. Oh, God. <laughs> Welp. That's what's gonna happen to me later. So what are we? Um, even even more later though. Next week, in fact. Before we do that, just want to thank Chris, uh, like I always do, and also I want to thank Jeremiah Matthews for doing all of our great artwork, which I don't usually. I miss that sometimes, but the he, the boys got a new album coming out. Check it out, the Ellie Badge. It's real good stuff. Um, and, I want to uh, thank our dads. I, yeah. We got to thank our dads. <laughs> thank yeah. you, dads. Wouldn't Thanks, be here Steve. without the dads, uh, especially dads. this Love episode. Because they did all that. Well, they didn't do any research, but they picked these things out. Um, Thanks for that. And uh, now, next week. I'm going to talk about all your dads in great detail. I'm going to talk about the little guy and turtle show. I don't know what the heck that was. I'm going to talk about the tallest dad pyramid that has ever been built. the, The human dad pyramid cheerleading squad i want to talk about uh butthole coffee table books it's a uh i don't want to know we'll learn next week yeah we'll, we'll find yeah, out find, it's, it's like one of those books where where you you open the pages and it's like put something in the hole you put your butthole in the hole no it's oh. just no it's actually it's it's just titled brown eyes and you just keep on brown your coffee table girl <laughs> <laughs> Next week on one out of four experts. Dad pals, dad pals. They should make those into like a beanie baby type thing. <laughs> those dad pals. dad pals. They're just like little stuffed dads. Stuffed dads I yeah. love all my dad pals. They have. They all have their own little odor. <laughs> Collect all your dad pals. What are those? Sold what are those separately. Pop, pop art dolls or whatever. They called uh, Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Oh, yeah, they just have things. a dad line. It's all yeah. dads. Yeah. You get your own dad. Oops, made all dads. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this episode's called. There it is. <laughs> Our experts.